Welcome back, everybody. Uh, hopefully another fun episode of Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast. I'm your host, play-by-play broadcaster Alex Cohen, and I have a hunch we'll be saying play-by-play broadcaster just a couple of times this episode. Now joining us, a new marquee network television play-by-play voice of the Chicago Cubs, John Boog Shambi. Boog, uh, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Probably hasn't been the busiest month, two months of your life. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's, no. it seems like it's been chaos. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. How you doing? I'm really good. Um, thank you for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's been a little uh, it's been a little busy, but it's been fun. It's been fun. It's definitely been invigorating. We have a lot to talk about. But first, you know, I'll introduce your name, Jod Boog Chambi. And I've heard this story because I've listened to your, your, your litany of podcast and media appearances because it's been fun to watch. But for our fans that don't know, how did you get the name Boog? So I am a big guy with red hair. I wouldn't say that I really look like Boog Powell, but, you know, they have a tendency with the gingers to kind of say we all look alike. Yeah. So as you can tell by my beard, I I have a little bit of the the ginger features. No doubt. So I went to go work in team 93 at a radio station, the all sports station in Miami, WQAM. My college buddy was down there, Bob Washusen, who works at ESPN in college basketball and football, and he's the voice of the Jets on the radio. And so Bob and I were living together down there. I was sleeping on his couch. And I went in to train after being hired to train as a board op. I was going to do some updates and that type of thing. But the morning show posts were Dave Lamont, Joe Rose, and Dave Lamont was from the DC area. He was a huge Orioles fan. And I came in that morning and I already had a mailbox and it said John Chambi on it. And Dave Lamont said, you know, you kind of look like Boog Powell. And I said, well, you know, I hit left-handed when I played. And the next day, uncanny. Yeah. And then the next day I came in and taped over John Shambi. It said Boog Powell, and everybody called me Boog from that point forward. And now for the most part, everybody, most everybody calls me Boog. I never introduced myself that way because I don't feel like explaining it to someone who may not understand it. The girls I grew up with in my neighborhood and went to grade school with still call me Jonathan. Ooh. My buddies in high school and college call me by my last name, but most everybody now calls me Boog. Yeah. Okay. So we have Jonathan, we have Boog and we have yeah. Shambi. Yeah. From this point forward, what do you want me to call you? I, I think you, you go Boog. It's, it's a weird, I've been getting that one a lot. I, is it okay if I call you Boog? Do you want me to, it, what ends up happening is that if I just leave it alone, <laughs> People just end up calling me Boog is what ends up happening. Whether on the air I identify myself as Boog Shambi or John Shambi, people call me Boog, and I'm good with it. I mean, I will say that, look, in the early years at WQAM in Miami, I would say it worked in my favor. I had a press pass to go to every home Marlins game. I'd sit there. I started to get to know the scouts. The scouts would remember me because – my nickname was not Jonathan, you're Boog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it really did work in my favor, has worked in my in my favor. And 
Boo Powell is one of the kindest humans you will ever run across. The first time that I met him, I kind of stammered and stumbled and said, hey, you know, I, my name's John Chambi, but I, I kind of stole your nickname. And he cut me off and said, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> and he was couldn't have been nicer. And over the years doing baseball games on TV, on ESPN, producers have set it up where I'm a, I, they give me a false count and I think I'm coming back. And then we're doing a game at Camden Yards and they've given him a mic and he takes it back and says, hey, it's the real Boog here at Camden Yards. You're watching Wednesday Night Baseball on ESPN. So he's he's a sweetheart. Yeah, that's awesome. You didn't steal his name. You borrowed it. You've just been borrowing borrow it. it for an extended period of time. That's right. For the that's indefinite future. Yeah. Speaking, so we talked about play-by-play. You're the play-by-play voice of the Chicago Cubs. Can you give us the play-by-play of the process that made you the voice of the Chicago Cubs? I mean, this all took shape this winter. You know, one week you heard that Len Casper is taking the Chicago White Sox radio job. Uh, Then you have Christmas and you have New Year's. And the next week, John Shambi is the voice of the Chicago Cubs for the Marquee Network. How did it happen? So, well, one of the things that's, was sort of, you know, I had extra information because Len Casper's one of my closest friends. So this was something I knew that he was thinking about something that I knew he was interested in doing. And so he and I talked about it, but even as we talked about it, I wasn't contemplating how it might affect me. I was more, I understood what he was saying. You know, I've been lucky. I've been able to do, national playoff baseball on the radio since 2005. It's really awesome. One of the negatives with that being the TV voice of a, you know, in a local spot is you're done when the regular season ends. So he's had all these good teams and hasn't gotten to call playoff games. It's also a kid that grew up in Detroit, big Ernie Harwell fan. So this was, he wanted to follow his passion at this point. Not to mention he got a chance to be there for 2016, which is pretty, pretty special. So I kind of had inside information, but even that I didn't really think about. I think the biggest thing was when they reached out to me, I needed to sit down and did just kind of meditate on, okay, what would this be like? And is this something that I'm interested in? Because I'm not going to mess around with, taking this process to the middle or end point and then saying, eh, not interested. Yeah. So once I sat and was like, this seems as though it would be something that would be pretty amazing. And I not, and when I say that, I mean, amazing as, wow, this could be a pretty great adventure for the next 20 years. Yeah. That was the space that I arrived. And then once I got there, I interviewed with multiple people and I was fortunate enough that they were interested in, in having me do the job and they ended up offering it to me. They offer it to you. You talk to Len. What's the advice that he gives you, if anything, when it comes to going to Chicago in this capacity, broadcasting for the Chicago Cubs and their fan base? I still, we still haven't had that conversation yet. We've talked about how we're going to have that conversation. But I mean, like, 
we're going to have a conversation where I'm going to sit down and probably like write some down. Yeah, just like, you know hey, hey, like what, what, yeah. am, what am I doing here? Like, so, yeah. but the, the one part that was really funny was that, so he announces that he's taken the White Sox job. Yeah. And then they, in the media, start putting together lists and people had put my name out there. We're on an athletic article. I, I remember reading that article from John Greenberg. And I wasn't contemplating it. And I had people ask me, and I was like, yeah, I haven't really thought about it. And, and then as it started to happen, and then as we got – and I don't think Len expected me to. And then I, I reached out to him, and I said, you know, I, I think I really want to do this, and I think there's a good chance it could happen. And he was just giggling, you know. So yeah. – um, I, it it was a pretty the Cubs and Marquee were pretty pretty awesome. I mean, I think look, I mean everybody wants to be valued, right? But I I couldn't say enough things, good things about how much they, you know, they made it seem as though they really wanted me, and that part was was especially. I mean, I decided that I wanted it, but they it was reciprocal, and that part was pretty cool. So the next time that you go out to Chicago and get your stuff settled, are you going to be sleeping on Len's couch since that, you know, you, you were doing that when you moved out of Miami, when you go to Chicago, are you, you sleeping on Len's couch? Well, so thankfully he's got a spare bedroom and I've already slept there once. I, okay, when I went tough. to go, I, I, I went and looked for places and, um, and, um, and I stayed downtown, but I also stayed with, stayed a night with Len to celebrate his 50th birthday. So, um, and that was great. That's awesome. That was, it was really cool. It, you know, just that it just happened that I was out there for that. And uh, we had dinner, uh, myself, Len and Jason Benetti um, and Len's wife, Pam. It was wonderful. That's yeah. a crew. That's a good crew right there. Where'd you go for dinner? We went to the Caspers. We, we ordered, we ordered in, um, you know, it's still uh, – Oh, this is during COVID time, too. This yeah. is during COVID. This is – yeah, this is, this is uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So, you're going to make your way out to Chicago. What yeah. are your favorite parts about Chicago? Are you a, a deep dish guy, Chicago hot dogs, you know, Chicago delicacies? Do you like the town? Have you been there during the summer? Do you hate it during the winter? What are your – initial thoughts right now on the city of Chicago? So I've been going to Chicago for 25 years, a good, you know, two, three, four times a year. So I've spent a lot of time there, but it's more just on the surface and it's more mainly, you know, downtown. Yeah. I still have seen a good piece of it. Unfortunately, everybody's asking me the food question. I've arrived at this point in my life where I've made some uh, changes to my diet where I've ditched flour and sugar. So there's no pizza happening in my I was life. Say that Chicago was a tough place to ditch those essential ingredients. That's right. Yeah. So I think it was the first question I got asked in the press conference. I had two good things that when, when they announced me with the media – 
I mean, good Lord, we've all done 9 million Zoom conferences. And dumb, dumb me, you know, and now the new voice of the Cubs, here's John Chambi and whatever. And I start to talk and I'm muted. (laughs) I mean, how much of a moron do you have to? It's not like there's not, you know, it's not like there isn't a big red X on the mute button down in the bottom left. Like I haven't done 8 million Zooms and I'm muted. What a moron. So that's great. That that, that makes the the story. That makes the story for me. That's that's awesome. And then the next question is, or the first question is, which Chicago pizza do you like best? And I gotta go with, well, I don't eat flour anymore. You know what I mean? Like just suck the fun out of the room. So muted, and then he asked, you know. Bruce Levine asked me the fun question, and I'm the fun hater guy. Oh, my God. So, um, I, look, I like walking cities. I like being able to walk all over the place. There's just something about – I think it's the – I'm a New York City kid. I think Chicago's the best American city in the summer, and I don't think it's close. Um, it's just always spoken to me as as a city. I – it's always felt familiar. It's always felt comfortable. I love the passion for baseball. I think I'm, you know, excited to explore larger parts of it and just see it and be being part of the community. I mean, I think that that I guess as you get older, you you feel more comfortable viewing things in this regard. But I'm excited taking this job and hopeful that it's a job that I'll have for a long time and thinking about it in that sort of through that, you know, vantage point that, you know, being, getting a chance to really being intertwined with this community for a long time. So in the summer, if I see a big guy with red hair biking or walking on Clark and Addison, odds are it could be you. It could be me. It couldn't be me. Good be you. Awesome. Again, you're listening to Cubs play-by-play broadcaster Boog Shabby. You're on Unwritten Rules, and Iowa Cubs podcast. For more information on our podcast, check out iowacubs.com. You can also listen to all of our episodes, both past and present, on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and directly through the Iowa Cubs website. We'll continue on. We've talked about you getting to this point. But we haven't gotten to before that the background. Where'd you grow up, baseball fan wise? Who were your guys? You know, you guys you grew up watching, and from a broadcaster standpoint, guys you grew up listening to. So my favorite team as a kid, I was born in Philadelphia. My favorite team was the Phillies. Uh, my favorite player was now, Mike. Now, Schmidt. now we're talking. Now we have kindred spirits here. So my favorite player was Mike Schmidt. My favorite announcer was Harry Callis. And I moved out of New York when I was seven. I mean, out of Philly when I was seven, but I stayed my dad's side of the family. My parents went to Drexel and they met there. Okay. My dad's family's from South Philly. My mom's family's from Jersey. My mom's family's big Yankee fans, but big baseball fans. My dad's family... Big baseball fans, big Philly fans, and they got their hooks in me. And I've told the story a bunch of times, but yeah, when I was 
was five or six, my grandparents went on a cruise and they explained to me what a cruise was because I didn't understand it. And my response at the end of my grandfather telling me what a cruise was, I said, how do you get the box scores? And he said, you don't. And I said, well, I'm never going on a cruise. <laughs> Ever. I, now you can go on a cruise and get the box. I've never been on a cruise, by the way. That's the truth. I've never, little known fact, never been on a cruise. So, I yeah, so I moved to New York. I uh, grew up in New York City. Uh, I, I'm a city kid. You know, I took the subway to high school when I was 14. I didn't get my driver's license until I was 24, maybe. Um, you know, I... I I just always loved baseball. I'd go to Yankee games, to Met games, sit in the upper deck. I vended at Shea for a summer. Um, yeah, I, I just, I always, I always loved it. And, you know, New York is, uh, is where I'm living, but I'm, you know, moving from and excited to, uh, to get to Chicago. So you say you had one half of your family as Phillies fans, one half yeah. of your family as Yankees fans. They played each other in the World Series in 2009. How'd that go in your family? So my parents divorced when I was three. So that wasn't as much of a thing. And at that point, I was, you know, full on in the media. I actually was on the field doing, I did all the post game sports center interviews. Yeah. So. I would say that more when I think of the families in the late 70s, the Phillies and the Yankees both had really good teams. And every year they would be picked to get to the World Series and they never made it at the same time. So those years, the Yankees won in 77 and 78, beating the Dodgers. And everybody thought it would be the Phillies and the Yankees playing. And then 79, the Pirates one and they beat the Orioles and then in 80 the Phillies finally got through yep. the Yankees didn't do it the Royals ended up beating them so the Phillies ended up blah 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 so they never they never went head to head you know during the years when it was so such a big deal to me and so personal to me yeah. so you spent some of your childhood in Philadelphia moved to New York when you were seven when did you figure out or know that, man, I'm, I might want to broadcast games. I might want to work in sports for a living. So I love to play. And I, as a, as a kid, I was a, I was a good player in high school. I was a really good player, but you know, it's again, it's New York city high school baseball. I went to, I went to William and Mary as a preferred walk on. What position? I was a catcher. I was a left-hand hitting catcher. I wasn't very good. Um, I got hurt. I had shoulder surgery in my labrum and my rotator. I transferred. I didn't love William and Mary. I transferred to Boston College. I went to BC. The coach helped get me in. I didn't play well. I got cut. Yeah. And from there, I just kind of ran to the student radio station and got involved immediately. I think I, I think I went into college having an idea that it was what I wanted to get into. I think I was probably more interested in doing sports talk radio at that time. Um, but baseball was still the sport I loved the most. It wasn't even close. And then once I was done playing baseball, 
I, I really got into the student radio station WZBC at Boston College. And that, you know, that was the thing that sort of fueled the fire to that that was where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. It, it, it fuels the fire, but also, and, and you've obviously been told this, you have a distinctive voice, deep baritone. Has it always been that way? Were you just, you know, you say that people were born with the golden right arm. Were you born with the, the golden voice box? Or was your voice something that matured through training? Or I think Harry would, yeah. yeah, I would say that it matured. I also would say there just there are enough people in this business, whether it's Jason Benetti or Dan Schultz. You know, there are plenty of guys that have better voices than I do. So... And I'm not saying I don't have a good voice, but I the, I the one thing in college, I took a voice and articulation class with a woman that taught us how to speak from the diaphragm. And the one thing I would say that always stuck with me from that was she, she I don't even know whether this is so, but that most people speak from their throat. And they usually are speaking about an octave higher than what they really should be speaking at. Yeah. And so if you go slowly and learn to speak from your diaphragm, it probably takes you down to where you should be. I think I've always, I think I matured. And then I also would say I am able to go slowly and stay in the range of what my voice is supposed to be. I think that's what it is. That's my, the best answer I could give you. I, I, I was genuinely curious if it was a Harry Callis regimen of, uh, I mean, uh, cigarette, cigarette and cigar smoke and, uh, and a little bit of whiskey. Could be I, that too. Look, we're not, I'm not ruling that out. I'm not <laughs> ruling that out down the stretch. Could be yeah. that too. Here's the two, two. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't. The first time I, I was at uh, Pro Player Stadium, and back in the day, you didn't have to pay. This is when you didn't have to pay for your press meal. Yeah. So part of why I would go is because it was free food. Free food. It was free, yeah. food and I got, to, and you get to watch baseball. But I was online, and I didn't realize. I did not realize who was ahead of me. And all of a sudden I heard, you know, the voice, I'll have some lasagna. Why don't you get me some green beans? And I was like, oh my God. It's and you. That, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Michael Jack Schmidt, that ball's out of here. Yeah. I love that. Is, that is awesome. So, and it was one of those things I got to interview him a few times and it's one of those, 1997 was my first year and, and I'm interviewing him and I'm experiencing it like he's answering my question. And then when I'm asking the question, it feels like I'm going, so Harry, I was just what, you know, compared to him, that's how, that's how it felt. Yeah. So. so you talked about getting down to Miami for the first time. You're it's the mid 1990s. You're heading down to Florida. You're doing some stuff in sports radio. Was there a point around that time where it, it, it kind of crosses your head? Like, hey, like, I could get to the big leagues. Like, there's a shot that I can actually reach the, the top of the totem pole. Not then. So, 
I climbed at WQAM. I did updates. I did sports talk. I got a little bored more quickly than I anticipated doing sports talk radio. So I would go to the empty booths at Dolphin Pro Player Stadium, whatever the heck it was called then, and Joe Robbie Stadium. Joe Robbie, yeah. And I would call games into a tape recorder, and then eventually I gave the tape out, and I was offered a job doing the Boise Hawks in 1996. And it wasn't real pretty. I mean, it was kind of overwhelming as far as I just didn't, I wasn't good. And I don't, and then I came back and the Marlins were changing up their broadcast crew. I don't even know. So I got to be a big league broadcaster in 97, but I was the pregame guy, the postgame guy. I did a tiny bit of play-by-play. 98, same thing, but a little more play-by-play. 99, same thing, but a little more play-by-play. And I think I became full-time play-by-play with three innings a game in 2000 maybe 2001, but I don't know that I, it, it took time. Yeah. It took, you know, I still get tapes and I think about my own sort of, it took time to, I, you know, I'm 50 years old. There are things that I fixed, I think, and got better at in my forties. It's just, it, it's it's a process. I mean, some guys are exceptionally gifted. I mean, I sit there. It's funny. A, a guy who I went to day camp with when I was 11 years old, Ian Eagle. That That's a and good name for broadcasting. You chose your friends wisely from, from – And Bob I don't know – I don't know whether you, you've heard his son. Oh, Noah? His, I mean – He's 20, 22. He's 22. And there's a part of me that, like, the first time I heard a tape of him doing Syracuse, my reaction was like, oh, bleep you. Bleep <laughs> you for being that good. I mean, I wasn't that good when I was 32. It, just, it, takes, 32. it, takes, it takes time. It takes time. It, or it took, I should say, it took time for me. That so. So you're with the Marlins in in this role where you did pre and post game, and then you did some play by play and some more play by play, and then a couple of years yeah. down the road, middle three innings. So you're around the ballpark. Was there ever a holy crap moment? You're in the big leagues. Was it somebody you talked to in batting practice? A, a guest that you had in the booth? Somebody you ran into the press box? You talked about Harry Callis, right. but but is there anybody that that kind of gave you the crap I'm here like I did it the one thing that was cool about doing the pregame and the postgame was that I I did a pregame interview so it allowed me to go into the other team's clubhouse and establish relationships with you know like I, I have a long relationship with Chipper Jones and John Smoltz and I was a Braves broadcaster, so they knew me from there. But they knew me for eight years when I was with the Marlins because yeah. I'd interview them twice a year, and, and they'd see me. And that part of the job was just invaluable to you play the Astros and get to know Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio um, and, and just on and on the different guys that you got a chance to connect with 
And the vehicle was, hey, would you would you do a five minute interview with me? I have told the story. It's it's a true story. It's it's ridiculous. But my first road game for Welcome to the Big Leagues, my first road game was at Wrigley. And it was like 30 degrees. Oh, balmy. And so you're just layered up. And I finished the pregame and I have to come back and do the lineups. But I had to go to the bathroom. So I run to the bathroom. At Wrigley, the men's room is still the same. It's two urinals and a stall. So I'm washing my hands alone and Harry Carey walks in (laughs) and he goes to the stall. Now I'm drying my hands and from the stall I hear, not directed at me, it's just, it's a comment and he says, I got so many damn clothes on, I can't find my... And I stop and like, look around, like, did everybody else hear that? There's no one else in there. I burst out laughing and then I run back to the booth to tell Dave O'Brien, Joe Angel and Tommy Hutton. And that's my Harry Carey story. And that is your, oh my gosh, I'm in the big leagues. I'm in the big leagues. I'm in the big leagues. And it's one of these stories it was legitimately my only ever interaction with him. He passed the next year. It's it's one of those stories that, like, if somewhere down the line I'd been able to re- – like, he wouldn't, he didn't even know I was there, I don't think. He was just talking to himself how he was That's having right. dif- difficulty yeah. with clothes. That's right. Yeah. Speaking to the stars, the star just happened to be you. Well, you were one for one with uh, instances with Harry Carey. I mean, I would call that one for one with a home run right there. Can't beat that. (laughs) Continuing on here with John Bugshambi, the new play-by-play broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs on the Marquee Network here on Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast. Had a lot of fun so far talking about your career, starting in Miami, on to Atlanta, then ESPN, now the Chicago Cubs. Well, you're moving your way up north just yeah. geographically right no, no way L teams are you allergic to the dh or something like that you know what's funny is i'm not i am a nat so i i'm a national league guy at heart which is yeah. interesting and i mean national you know philly's guy national league guy and yet that said and i'm sure that there will be some cranky people like i don't want to watch pitchers hit not anymore i'm good like, I'm good. No more. So I want the DH. I know this year, not happening. Uh, but, like, yeah, I don't want to watch it. I don't want yeah, to pitch I, it anymore. I have no interest in that. I, I have no. no interest in seeing a good pitcher hit 162 with five no. runs and be compared to Babe Ruth. I don't need that. Yeah, so, like, I have it here somewhere. Let me see if I, I have it somewhere. In 2019, pitchers hit 128, and their strikeout rate was 43.5% at the plate. Get out of here. I don't need that. No. Who needs that? It's a waste of a batting order spot. 
So, and the tactics of it are done now as well because nobody goes seven innings. So you're pinch hitting for the guy after two trips through anywhere. So like, it's not as if there's some great, there's consistently a great tactical maneuver associated with, do I lift the pitcher? Cause he's pitching so well guys pitch well now and it's five and dive and I'm fine with it. I'm just saying you're it, it's, there's not even the tactical part associated with it anymore. So I'm in on the DH. Right, I said we, it. We, we've addressed the DH. Uh, another yes, thing have. that I want to bring up with you is the yeah. title of this podcast, unwritten rules. Yeah. What are your thoughts on unwritten rules? And we talked a lot about that in 2020 with guys swinging at 3-0 pitches in a 9-2 game and bat flipping home runs. My personal opinion is, and I want to hear yours, if it were important, it'd be written. If it's not written, it's not important. If you want to bat flip a home run, bat flip a home run. If you're on the mound, you throw 99-mile-per-hour fastball, you blow up by him, you want to moonwalk back to the dugout, I don't care. That's my thoughts on unwritten rules. As somebody who's been around the game a little bit longer than I have, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I was on a po- – I agree. It's funny. I have a tendency to think of unwritten rules in those – you know, in the same way. You know, you're down or you're up six to one in the seventh inning. You're not supposed to try to steal a base. Stuff like that. But there is also – I was on a podcast recently with Dan Straley and – he was saying stuff like, yeah, if you're a rookie, make sure you show up on time. Like, I'm in on that. I'm in that's on un- some of that. That's an unwritten rule. That's common. Cur- like, that you want to learn about the game. Like, Dustin Pedroia had something where um, I think it was Gavin Cicchini in his first road trip. He met Pedroia in the hotel lobby at 930 in the morning. And Pedroia said, let's go. Where are we going? well, you're a rookie. I want you to be the first one at the field and you go at nine 30. I wouldn't call that an unwritten rule. That's kind of, that's more into the rookie hazing, but in a good way department. But it's kind of, I mean, it's yeah, an unwritten I rule. Eh? Yeah. I mean, but I, I'm with you. I, I think we've gotten, it's, I'm fine swinging three. Oh, I don't care. They're professionals. I, I think that the biggest thing, we, why do we not have these conversations in the other sports? Yeah. These like nobody wants to fight anybody in the other sports because you hurt my feelings. We don't have these conversations. I mean, not really. This is the sport we that we have it yes. in, and it's 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 usually pretty dumb. Like I think we're getting to the point where it's, it is getting dumb. Like the- well, in explaining unwritten rules to non-baseball people, you sound like a crazy person. Like, think about it. Explaining unwritten rules to someone who's a huge football fan, has no interest in baseball, and, and explaining, yeah, they got mad because... It's ridiculous. Yes. It's crazy. Okay, I- I'm glad that I got your opinion on unwritten rules, seeing that that is the, the name and the the concept of our podcast. So it's good to see where you stand on that. You've traveled a lot for baseball. Yeah. You've gone on these road trips. What are some of your favorite places to visit? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my spot, I mean, I grew up in New York, obviously, but my Chicago, San Francisco, Boston, I like the walking cities. You know, I just do. I like the, the urban centers 
And I like the places, you know, those three places, not only are they cool walking cities, they also all like their baseball. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, San Diego's kind of cool too. Well, so I, 74 degrees and sunny every day. That's correct. That's, that's true. So, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a layup as far as uh, where the good, you know, the good spots are. Um, it's a, it's a chalk answer. It's something that I expected. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like even, you know, Seattle is, Seattle's a good, a good spot. Like that's one that not everyone may throw out there, but Seattle, I like a lot. So any cities that you've just had either travel issues in or bad weather, bad airports, delays that you just kind of seem doomed with. Like for me, I'm always delayed in New Orleans. Whether I go for vacation, we go down there for AAA. Their airport was older. We were always delayed. I was sitting next to somebody who probably had a BAC of like 0.20, just smelled like a gallon of whiskey. Just a miserable experience every time I fly in or out of New Orleans. Do you have any cities like that? I I, I don't want to start – I don't want to start beef with anyone, but I, I've spent too much time in the St. Louis airport over the years as a yeah. national broadcaster. It, it's, it's kind of a stinky airport and I've spent too much time there. So it's an interesting airport to me because they have one terminal that I just despise. And then the Southwest terminal isn't bad. When you're a triple a broadcaster, you get to know these terminals very well in terms of like where you can sleep and where you can, you know, not wait for a half an hour to find food. I share similar sentiments on the St. Louis airport with you. So, that's I, I, and I would say you're being far too generous in describing the St. Louis airport as an interesting airport. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. So you talked about you, you, you changed your diet around um, yeah. as you, as you've gotten older to stay healthy, yeah. your favorite place to eat on the road. If you could have one more meal, like let's say you get your per diem, you're at any place in the entire United States. You can have one meal at one restaurant and spend as much money as you possibly can. And then that's your per diem for the rest of your life. Where are you going? I, I, I got nothing that I'm, I'm opting out of this. I, because it's just, it's like, I'm in this weird space where I've sort of trained myself to get away from even thinking about that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, who are, what are some of my, some of the places over the years that I've had cool dinners? Uh, we could be talking about ambiance as well. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, you talk about New York, people say Peter Luger Steakhouse or yeah. Don Pepe near you know, Kennedy Airport, the Italian restaurant. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I'm I guess I, I'm out of that mode in that game. I know that I know that that's uh, I know it's sad, but I, I I'm yeah, I'm, I'm at this point. I'm just trying to put good stuff in my body. I'm sorry to to uh, oh, that's to be. That's fun, okay. fun here. In your, I've been like, I've been to Chicago Cut, and um, I had dinner, you know, two summers ago at Maple and Ash in Chicago, um, and it was really good. But I, for the most part, 
I, I'm try. I really try to stay out of that. Nope. Sp- it's you know my weight's been an issue for me at times, and I've really and I've had a bunch of surgeries. Um, so I'm just I try and keep my food pretty pretty basic. Well, you look good. I mean, it's it's be- it's, it's, it's benefited you. It looks good. My my last question in regards to that, we'll we'll get off the food topic. But do you have any memorable, appropriate to repeat stories from a road trip? whether it's with a certain team, yourself, a broadcast team, you know, is, is there anything that you could just pinpoint and remember? It's like, that's where I was. That's what happened. That was cool. Or even memorable in any aspect. From a road trip? It, it could be road trip. It could be home team. Like mine, for instance, 2016, I was with the minor league baseball team that, you know, won, won their division. And we are yep. busing through the ride back from Ohio to where we were at. I don't want to give away the team because I don't want to give away the person involved. We're traveling on a bus. It's 2.30 in the morning. People are celebrating. Our pitching coach, who's in a dead sleep, wakes up and screams, hey! Whole bus goes silent. Goes to the bus driver, goes, stop the bus. I'm like, what's going Like, what's happening? Like, what is going on? He says, stop the bus, opens up the door, takes one step onto the steps, pulls down his pants, pees, comes back up, goes down <laughs> the seat, falls back to sleep. We get driving. I will never forget that. Sure. I mean, I, yeah, I, I would say that I probably have, I probably have a, a few of those. I, I think here's what I would Here's my my best travel story would be this. I think I know 2003 was a hard one for the Cubs to swallow, but the, I was with the Marlins at the time, and so the Marlins. Remember, 2003 was the first year that home field advantage in the World Series went to the winner of the All Star Game, which was the American League. Mm-hmm. The ALCS was a day behind the NLCS. So the Marlins won in seven. We're in Chicago because we don't know where we're going because the Yankees and the Red Sox went to seven games at Yankee Stadium. So this is the game where Pedro's dealing and then Grady leaves him in too long and the Yankees start to come back. So the Marlins traveling party We're all sitting in a ballroom at the Westin on Michigan Ave. We are watching the Yankees and the Red Sox. That game gets to the late stages. And the Red Sox are winning, but the Yankees are coming back. And as it starts to get later, now we have to go because we got to go to get on the plane. Yeah, you have somewhere to be. So we drive. And the Yankees tie the game. And now we get to the airport. But we're not allowed to get on the plane or the tarmac because there is no destination. We don't know whether we're going to New York or Boston. So we're literally three buses. We can see our plane on the tarmac. We are outside of a gate. And we are listening to the Yankees and the Red Sox on ESPN radio. And John Miller is on the call, and Boone steps to the plate, and it's swinging a drive deep left field, and the Yankees have won. And as he's calling it, 
the gate is opening up and we're driving onto the tarmac and get on the plane. Like he's still calling it and the gate is opening and we drive onto the tarmac, get on the plane, fly to New York. Destination New York in the midst of the call. Yeah. And that's not during the era of you know iPhones and MLB TV. You can't watch the game. You're listening no. to the game, sitting on a yes. bus, not yes. knowing where you're going to go. Yes. No idea. As part of those Marlins teams, obviously, day one World Series. Yeah, two. Do you have a ring? Two of them. You, you, you do, I was going to say, you do have both rings. I don't know why, but in both instances, you know, they have an A ring, a B ring, and a C ring. Yeah. And both times they gave me the A ring. And there is a funny story that I, I tell every once in a while. Mark Kotze, who over the years became a, a friend, but Mark Kotze was a rookie. He was drafted in 1996 in the first round. And he, he probably, Devon White went on the DL. Mark Kotze got about 50 at-bats on the 97 team. And for some reason, they gave him a B-ring. And there is nothing that I'm delighted by more than giving Kotze the business for, to the guy who actually played in games. You had the I, A-ring, and he has And he got the B-ring, and I got the A. I mean, it's so dumb. I, I mean, mean like, I, I'm – I'd be like, Mark, my, my ring finger looks a little uh, swollen. Can you check it? Does it hurt? Like, it, well, No, I, I like going – no, my the, here's my, my – my version is – Kotze, I played pretty well in 97. <laughs> I mean, I, I was I was a pretty big part of that team for them to give me that A-ring. You were the soul. You were the integral piece. You drove the bus. Um, that's right. <laughs> Seventh inning stretch here in our chat with Boog Shabby, face and voice of the Marquee Network for the Chicago Cubs here on Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast. For more information on future episodes, guests, and more, make sure you follow the Iowa Cubs on social media at, at Iowa Cubs on both Twitter and Facebook and subscribe to the Iowa Cubs newsletter on iowacubs.com. We will have weekly episodes and additional content giving you a glimpse into the life of baseball off the diamond that you can find on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. All right, so, so here's a part that I want to get to. You're a baseball broadcaster from the East Coast. You've made yes. your way up north. Yes. But you also have, have called some hoops collegiately. Yes. You've done your stuff on ESPN. I you did it last to, night. Have you, ever been, have you ever been to Iowa? Absolutely. Okay, have you ever been to Des Moines? Absolutely. Okay. What is your – relationship to this point with Des Moines Leo. what do you remember about it no, so all yeah. right so um so Iowa I do a lot of big 12 so last night I had Baylor in Texas two versus six so I do a lot of big 12 so um so I've been to Ames a ton I would say I've probably been to Hilton uh I'd say I've been to Hilton 15 times. That's a fair amount. <laughs> it's a good number of times. Yeah. 20 times maybe. Yeah. Um, and uh, I even did a high school game. Um, On ESPN? Yeah. In Ames. Probably a hoops game. Yeah. It's, uh, Doug McDermott and uh, Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes. Yeah. 
So, and then Des Moines, the only game that I've done there was that one year that Keno Davis had the really good Drake team. I know they're good again this year, but um, I did a game there. So that's kind of my, um, that's, that's, I've never done a game in Iowa City. And I haven't been to Iowa City for a football game, although I would, I would really like to. So, uh, that's kind of what I got in Iowa. Okay. So I don't know if you know, and I didn't really know this until I got here, but the Iowa State Fair is huge okay. it's in Des Moines, and they have all these insane food items that yeah. some that sound really good and some that I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. Okay, go. So I'm going to have a rapid fire for you. Yeah. And I want you to say your first reaction when I give these food items. Yeah. Okay? I'm going to give you 10 of them. Yes. First one, pork tenderloin sandwich, which is a fried pork tenderloin on a bun with lettuce, tomato, onion, pickles, ketchup, and mustard. Yes. A made right, which is essentially a sloppy joe without the seasoning. It is chopped up meat on a bun. Sure. A sweet corn stick. No. Apple nachos. Can you give me more? I didn't see the picture description, but I think it's just like cut-ups of like a, of an apple with sweet salsa on top of nachos. That's gonna like, be enough. That's okay. enough. Okay. Uh, chocolate brownie waffle stick. Yeah, for sure. Deep-fried deviled eggs. Wow. Big deviled egg guy. I'm a huge deviled egg guy. Big deviled egg guy. I think I'd have to give it a shot. Here's one that I would not have before broadcast, but it does sound great in general. Pork and bacon poutine. Yeah. But not during a not before a, a 1 p.m. game. Yeah. Fried avocado slices. Sure. Talking about vegetables. Hey, it, it's it's healthy, right? Good I mean, fat. Minus good the, fat. Minus the fried. Gotta part. get the good fat in. Dill pickle popcorn. No. The last one, cream cheese and candy-coated pecans. Yeah. Okay. I think you're seven out of ten there. That's not bad. Iowa State Fair might, might have a guy. You ever want to come I, to I, Iowa for the summer? No. What I, like, I, we'll be busy. So, so but here's the thing. It's like I, I really – I'm giving you truthful answers there in terms of – and what, I, but what I'm saying is like, yeah, now you understand why I'm a fat guy. And what I'm like, because, yeah, for the most part, it's like, yeah, try it. Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. Why not, why not consume the 3,000 calories in one stick? Yeah, I, I get it. I'm, I'm the same way. All right. We're going to go on to a serious note for our last topic. Um, yeah. I, I, we're on a podcast right now. I don't know if we'll have – we're on Zoom. You are wearing a hat. I yeah. am wearing a hat. This past summer, I saw on your social media the fundraising for the Tim Sheehy softball classic. Yeah, the fundraiser was selling hats and merchandise with the MLB logo, which I'm going to turn around that says for ALS. Yeah, it, it struck a personal chord with me because my grandmother passed away from ALS in 2016, uh, two and a half years. It really, uh, it sucked to see. It was really tough. And seeing your involvement in it, you know, as as much as you spoke about it on Twitter was was really something to me. 
why the passion and what's your relationship with all this, if you can get into it. Yeah, so Project Main Street is uh, the charity that we've been a part of since 2006. Um, guy that's over my shoulder, Tim Sheehy, we grew up together in New York City, met when we were seven years old. And Tim was diagnosed with ALS in 2005, and he died in 2007. When he was diagnosed, his condition worsened pretty quickly, and he was struggling financially, he and his wife, Katie. So we decided we were going to figure out a way to have a fundraiser. Well, Tim went to the University of South Carolina. He played soccer there. One of the other guys in the soccer team with him was the drummer from Hootie and the Blowfish, and he had gotten to become good friends with them. So they played our first event as a fundraiser, and we basically took the money from, you know, the free, what we charge, but, you know, from the Hootie and the Blowfish concert, and we gave half to Tim and Katie, and the other half we formed the 501c3 that allowed us to help people through small grants, usually five to $10,000 to help people who are struggling with the financial costs and we help them with whatever is needed. We vet their financials and we help them, you know, with things associated with the disease because what ends up happening is, you know, as, as pe people need care, they need help, um, you know, and we're a small little charity, but the other part, I think, I think that there is an aspect of what we're able to deliver, you know, when you get ALS, as it goes on, your world gets smaller because you can't, you can't move or you can't move very much. And eventually you, you usually don't leave your house very much. Yeah. And so to be able to reach out and say, hey, we're out here, we're thinking of you, how can we help you? Just that in and of itself, you know, we need a hospital bed, we need a new wheelchair, we need an eye gaze machine so that we could speak, we need a lift to get um, her upstairs, um, we need help paying our insurance, we need help buying groceries. So that's where it started, it's a terrible disease, it's really rare. I think the most powerful thing you could say about ALS, um, and it's pretty amazing. And that is, it's a hundred percent fatal. It always wins. And like, and yet, you know, not, I'm not going to do the disease comparison thing, but think about that for a second. It's a hundred percent fatal. So, you know, I, hopefully someday there'll be a cure, but you know, our motto is until, until there's a cure, there's care. That's what we do. So, um, you know, it's personal over the years with that, you know, I went to BC. So, you know, my shoulder is Pete Frady's Jersey. Yeah. He's the guy along with Pat Quinn who just passed. They basically passed within a year of one another. They're the two guys that started the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. Um, I lost a good friend, Chris Combs recently, who was an NC state baseball player. You know, I, it's, uh, it's just personal for me and I'd love to see baseball step up and have a day for Lou Gehrig and for ALS. And I'd love to see us, you know, at some point in my lifetime, make some inroads to curing the disease or at least slowing it down markedly. But, uh, you know, again, we, we raise the money and we do it because in part, we also get a chance to think about Tim and 
put a smile on our face. For those listening, and if you can't see, this is a great hat. It's a good golf hat. It doesn't help my golf game by any means, but it, it's, it's a nice fitted cap. Good hat. It's good, it's good hat. hat. Yeah, how, it's good hat. How, how can they purchase it? Do you have the so, unfortunately, right now, um, New Era donated all the hats. We're in the process of making new hats. So I'll get back to you on that because we, we, we literally sold out all of them. So I'm grateful to you um, for purchasing yours. And um, Major League Baseball, grateful to them for letting us use their 4ALS logo. So we will get back to you on that. That will just give us a reason to bring you back on and have another conversation with you on the podcast. Boog, you've been very busy lately. We appreciate you carving out some time to talk to us. And I don't even think I said this before. Congratulations on the Cubs opportunity. It's, it's great to welcome you to the Cubs family. You'll just be about 354 miles east of us. If you ever want to come down. It's 354? 354. That's it. Just is a hop skip, hop, skip, and a jump. Is that to Wrigley? It's to Wrigley. 354 to Wrigley. It's three turns. I-80, the I-80 Express. You are, I'm sure you'll be busy, but you are more than welcome here anytime there is. Can, a- I, come, can I come and, and like, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, you give me an inning? Will you let me do an inning? I will let you, you want to do two innings? Knock your socks off. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. Um, All right. Really short we'll of time. Best of luck this season. I'll be listening. Boog, I really appreciate the time. Thank My you. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. So that was an episode of Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast. Again, for more information, check us out on iowacubs.com. You can also listen to past episodes, current episodes on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Music. Thanks for listening, guys.